everybody, and welcome to another Behind the Shield, our weekly battleground podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world of war games, miniature war games, uh, card games, board games, and role-playing games, and what's going on at your local battleground games and hobbies. I'm Andrew, hello, and with me today I have... Amanda, hi. And we wanted to cover a couple of things, but we're going to... Try and do this in a less rambly way, maybe. No, it's not gonna no, happen. It's not gonna happen. We're, gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about what happened last weekend, and then we're gonna talk about what's going on at Battleground this weekend and next weekend. So we're trying to keep this succinct, but there is a lot of stuff to cover for this weekend and next weekend, and some things we're very excited about. So we're sort of mixing up the format. We're gonna start with what happened last week, which was the Extra Life Marathon in the Abington location. I feel like it was months ago. I can't believe that was just last weekend. I, it, I'm not recovered yet. Well, it was over the uh, Daylight Savings holiday or Daylight Savings, I don't know, hour turn back. Yeah. So it was 25 hours. This was the first marathon... That we've had that I've actually stayed awake for the whole thing. I did not sleep at all during this marathon. And I, we streamed pretty consistently. There, there were 18 hours of streams that were archived by the end of the 25 hour marathon, which means that we had, you know, like a one hour turnaround between stuff and when we had meals and things. Yeah. Like we, we have to break down and set up games. Yeah. That's just, a fact and that takes a little time so that that was the the breaks in between so if you look in the links below this if you're listening on soundcloud in the description there's links to our youtube channel um or if you have our youtube channel uh bookmarked or if you follow us on youtube you will have seen that there are a whole bunch of videos that went up and there were spectacular games <laughs> That we played during that marathon. We started it out with a hard-to-find rarity <laughs> that I was able to get from a friend of mine. We started out with Dark Tower. Dark Tower, the board game. And that was spectacular, I think. It was a great way to start the whole thing. It's a, a interesting game, kind of luck of the draw in a lot of ways. Amanda, at one point, the tower was just completely blocking you in yeah yeah the tower hated me so um the thing about the game so just a very quick overview for anyone who isn't familiar with dark tower um it's a very old game um and by very old i mean it's as old as like me and andy um it's from 1981 and it's it was the one of the first or the first game with a digital piece to it that um dictated a lot of how the gameplay worked so the board is a round board divided up into four segments, like uh, basically quartered. And in the center, you have a spot to place a big plastic tower, and it spins. It doesn't spin on its own. You have to turn it yourself. But it does turn to face each player because there's a hidden information component to the game. And inside that tower are three revolving wheels of images. And 
what happens, and there are a bunch of buttons down below, and what happens is you push a button to tell the game what you're moving onto, like what type of space you're moving onto. Are you moving onto a building? Well, there's a button for that building. Are you moving into a new space? You press the move button. Um, there's a button for going between the wedges, um, the, the different realms. Um, so there's a whole bunch of different buttons that you can push. And when you push it, the game thinks for a bit. It, it chugs along because, like we said, it's, it's a very early mechanism. Um, it thinks for a bit and then tells you what the outcome of your movement is. Is it that you've moved into a building and you've found some treasure? Is it that you've moved into a building and been, like, cursed? Is it that you moved into a new space but got lost and have to go back to the space that you were just on? Is it that you've encountered some brigands and you're going to fight them? So every player has a little board that tells them how much food they have, how much money they have, and how many warriors they have with them. And as you move your way around the board, you're fighting brigands, you're getting sick, you're eating your food, you're finding treasure, and your whole goal is to move all the way around the board through from your own home segment through the other three and back to home. As you go around the board to collect three different keys, one in each of the realms that isn't yours and then return back to your home realm, bulk up all your warriors and assault the tower in the middle. This is harder, easier said than done because that random aspect of pushing the button and letting the game sort of randomly decide what's happening to you when you move means that you can have happen to you what happened to me where you get lost for five turns in a row. Um, I went into the frontier, which was between my domain and the next domains. This was very early on in the game and promptly got lost moving out of the frontier. You hit the frontier button to tell the game that you're moving out of one zone and into another. And then to move out of the frontier, you just hit the move button. And every time I hit the move button for several turns thereafter, I got lost. And what happens when you get lost is you move back to the space you were just on. So I got stuck in the frontier for several turns, which meant that I wasn't, my guys were eating my food. I wasn't able to gain any new warriors. I wasn't able to go adventuring and go finding more stuff. Uh, I wasn't able to get gold to buy more food. I wasn't able to find a key. I wasn't able to find like a sword or hire anyone. I was stuck in the frontier. Um, and eventually I think I also got stuck in the sanctuary and I got stuck in the sanctuary enough turns in a row that I finally declared that I was giving up my life of battle and taking vows and was just going to live in the sanctuary from now on. That was just going to be my life. Yeah, John had some similar problems. His troops ran out of food and all starved, and he thought he was out of the game, so he kept just sort of skipping his turn. But in a multiplayer game, it allows you to keep one warrior, so he was still in it, just unable to do anything but he didn't realize that for a couple of turns he just was like sitting there in like what the tomb or something because he couldn't get to the the thing is the sanctuary when you go there if you're really hurting if you've got like no food if you've got no warriors they'll bulk you up a bit they'll give you a few guys they'll give you some food to help you get to where you're going um but he couldn't get there or he didn't think he could get there because he thought he was out of food and therefore out of dudes and therefore couldn't move out of like the tomb or whatever space he was in to get to the sanctuary or 
to the market to hire anyone. So yeah, the game can kind of mess with you that way. Whereas on the other hand, Alex, one of the other people we were playing with, he found a key like in his own domain just randomly somehow. I think he he got the sword very early on. And then got attacked by the dragon at the end, and that gave him a ton of warriors. Oh, he 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 did very well. The game game liked him. him. Yeah. Anyways, so that was Dark Tower, and that was the start of the 25 hours. And you can tell, the 25-hour marathon is a marathon full of stories. There are wonderful tales from everybody who participated. If you watch the videos that we've got on our YouTube, you'll get a sense for it. Yeah. And you'll see us get progressively more and more tired as the night goes on. If you happen to be watching when we're setting up for, I think it was setting up for, like, what what, what were we setting up for when the TV fell on top of me? Oh, I don't remember. Were we actually streaming I don't think we were moment? streaming then. All right, so. Anyways. So here's what happened. We had a freestanding monitor and, um... No, we were streaming because uh, John was about to take his first shot in Mars Golf. And either the table got nudged by someone, and it could have been any of us, honestly, except for me because I was falling asleep. Um, But it could have been anyone, or it could just have been that the TV was ready to fall. But there was a freestanding monitor right in front of me, um, like right to my right. And I had my computer open in front of it, and I had my tea, um, which... Uh, one of the guys here had helpfully gone and gotten, like, gone and done a dunks run very early in the morning. And, uh, so I had a new cup of tea and I was feeling, like, real sleepy. I had not slept. Yeah. Normally I get at least, uh, like, a half hour of, of shut eye in there. I had not slept and I was feeling it. I was, my eyes were, were drooping. I was, like, having to sort of wake myself back up every few seconds. And, uh, then the TV fell right in front of me. <laughs> Just right in front of me, onto my computer, onto my tea. Um, fortunately, it splattered me with tea, but no tea really got on much else. It got on the surface of my phone, but I don't think it got into it because um, my phone's been working fine. And it didn't get into my computer, and it didn't get on the TV, and my computer was fine. It closed itself, but that woke me up. Yeah, that woke you up. I was very that got you back up. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, a ton of wonderful games. Uh, Amanda, what was your favorite moment or game of the the marathon? All right, so I'm going to cheat and do two. Okay. Um, no, I'm going to do three. Um, so one was just overall, I've got to say it was really amazing, and I have to thank Andy for this, for setting up all the prize stuff and all the envelopes and the display and everything well ahead of time because it meant that I did not end up behind the counter handling prize stuff for the entire night, which is what has happened since year one is I've ended up behind the counter doing prize stuff. And I've loved doing it and it's been really fun and I get to chat with everyone who comes up to the counter and like, it's a fun time, but it meant that I wasn't getting to play games. I was at the counter and I was having a wonderful night, but not having a wonderful night playing games. And I was missing the whole game aspect of it. That's the whole point is an overnight game marathon, right? So um, this year I got to play games all night long. I did not, I didn't step behind the counter until maybe like one or 2 AM. And I went down there and basically just like chatted with Derek for a little bit um, and missed part of Reckoners. 
um, which I wasn't like as enthusiastic about as some other people were. So I was glad to step aside and let other people play it. And you guys had a lot of fun with it, but I really, I, I got to play a lot of games and it made me really happy. Um, so out of all the games that we played up in the loft, my favorite was, uh, um, explore it. Explore it is uh, an RPG in a box sort of deal where you get a character and you get to level them up and you choose a class and you choose a race, but it's very much, um, there's a lot of pre-constructed stuff to it. So there's a map already set out. There's a board. There are set bosses that you're going to encounter, um, which you encounter based on certain criteria that are met when you like enter the, the city that you're in or whatever. That was a lot of fun. I, looking down at it when I first started it and I'm looking at my little character sheet, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be such a grind. Look at that board. It's really big. There's a lot of little hex tiles. We're going to be playing this for a while. This is going to be a long, long, long trip. No. First of all, John ran us through um, in a game mode called Double Time, so we were leveling up a lot faster than we would normally. But even still, I hadn't realized that the level up mechanic worked the way it worked, that you got cards that helped you level up. I thought it was just all, you're going to have to go out there and get gold and then go back to a city and use the gold to level up. So I thought it was very much going to be grind, 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 but it wasn't. And it was a lot of fun. It was a really good time and challenging. We won, but it was a near thing. We, we, we were getting our butts kicked. Um, so out of all the games we played that night, that one definitely stands out in my mind as just being a really good time. Um, not in the loft. I got to play Artemis and Artemis is a, um, a computer game that uh, Derek's buddy Bob brought in and set up. And we're talking the entire space under the loft was set up to be the bridge of a starship with a projector and a screen showing the like main screen and um, different stations for different positions on the bridge and scripted missions that you get to like go and deal with problems that are sort of set out by the game for you. And I got to play the science officer and scan stuff and tell people what shield frequency to use. And it was just a blast. And it was a really good sort of role play sort of thing because me and some of the other guys had sort of taken on little personas and were joking around in character. It was just, it was a really good time. If you get a chance to play Artemis with other people, I highly recommend it. And my last moment was a clip that it can be found on our Twitch stream. This was after I was woken up by the TV falling. Um, my game of Mars Golf did not start out well. I was a little shaken by the whole TV thing. <laughs> and But about halfway through, I found my stride and hit an amazing curve shot that I'm still intensely proud of. And the overhead camera really caught it well, so I was very happy about that. Yeah, it was a, a great clip. So you? for me, again, Artemis, Artemis was, was so awesome and fun i did get a chance to play that um and it it was a lot of fun my surprised game for the evening was not one that i got to play in but one that i got to watch because i was running tech for most of the event i didn't get to play as many games but i was running the the tech for the stream and the game that i really want to play now 
and that uh, caught me a little off guard was Orbis. Yeah. Which is a tile drafting game with uh, a worshipper gaining mechanic. So the idea is you use worshippers to draft tiles out of a, a tile supply and use those tiles to get more worshippers. And it has a very Century Spice Road feel to it. Mm. It's very much about getting the resources to get the right tiles to get the best yeah. score and to watch what your opponents are getting so that you know maybe to block them. Uh, it was like it has such simple, simple mechanics, but such interesting gameplay. I loved watching it and I really want to play it now that I've watched it in action. And there was a lot of that going on. Oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not a pricey game. Yeah. It's an easy one. It's, it's an easy one to get a hold of. So that was the, the surprise for me. Reckoners, I had a ton of fun with, but I feel like we were all really tired and we weren't really paying very close attention to the rules. We were doing stuff sort of chaotically. Um, I feel like I want to read the instructions to it yeah. before the next time I play it. Reckoners was very cool. It, but revisit uh, it with attention to the rules. That is a game that John got through Kickstarter that is going to be available in the store soon. If you watch the stream and want to get a hold of a copy of Reckoners, be sure you get in touch with your local battleground and tell us to pre-order one for you because I imagine it's going to be in limited supply when we finally do get it in the stores. Yeah. Anyhow, that was Extra Life and we raised so much money. You may recall that I had set a goal of $4,000 for the weekend and Amanda was skeptical was about that goal. She was dubious. Uh, I had good, re I had reason for being dubious. I wasn't like, man, we suck. We can't do it. Um, it was because the previous year we had set the goal for 2000 and for the weekend. I'm not talking all told because I, I know that in previous years we have raised a lot more post weekend, but over the weekend. Last year we sort of, crossed the 2000 mark at the last minute. It was very much a, we're tallying it up at, you know, the end of the weekend, right before noon and saying how much, and someone closed the gap right then and there, which was really nice, but made me a little nervous about doubling our goal for this year. I didn't need to worry as it turns out. Yeah, we easily hit the goal that we had set of $1,000 by 3 a.m., to get my hair cut. Within like an hour. We set a slightly higher goal. This was for online only of $1,500 for me to get my hair dyed, which I haven't done yet, but I am going to do. We have plans. We have plans. Uh, and right up until maybe five minutes before three, we had not hit that goal. And then we got a donation for the exact amount to push us over that so goal. Good. It was so At, good. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It it came in and we all went, oh, well, there we go then. But the big totals came from the raffles. So thank yeah, you to everybody who donated products for the raffles, all the work you did. It was astonishing. And 
the responses to those raffles were fantastic. Just looking at those padded envelopes and seeing how much they were bulging with tickets was amazing. It was really gratifying to see that people were excited about the things that we had and were happy to like buy tickets and, and enter and donate for the chance to win this stuff because it's a really great cause and we like seeing people excited about that. So our final tally at noon on you know the second day was slightly over $4,500. That includes cash donations that we had gotten uh, during the event. That includes the raffle tickets. And that includes all the money we raised online. If you combine it all together, over $4,500. Spectacular job. I am so proud of everybody. Thank you so much. I'm proud of every single person who donated. Uh, Every Whether it was a $5 raffle ticket or a waffle, or it was a couple of bucks tossed in to the online thing, um, or an enormous, you know, donation that came in anonymously, because we had a few of those. I am so proud of everyone for like helping out and for donating towards helping kids in hospitals. It's like, yeah, it's a really, really, really great cause. And I'm just so thrilled that people came out for it. Yeah. So that was Extra Life. And it was amazing and it feels like it was months ago it's been a really long week and we're all recovering from having spent all that time sleep deprived but this weekend guess what more is happening there's so much more going on so there's three big events going on at your local battleground games and hobbies is this weekend yes uh these three events are uh, there's a new crossover going on between Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons in the person of the Guild's Ma- Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, which is a book that has instructions for DM, D&D players to play in the world of Ravnica, which is one of the rule worlds of uh, Magic the Gathering. So... This is a really big thing that we've been sort of anticipating for a while. And it's a great opportunity if you've only ever played Magic to learn how to play D&D. Or if you've only ever played D&D to learn a little bit about the worlds of Magic. So we're doing a bunch of stuff for that. At the same time, this is pre-launch weekend for Keyforge which we've talked a little bit about. It's the unique game, unique being the type of game it is, in that every deck that you can possibly get in Keyforge is different. I'm really Uh, curious to see. I'm really curious to see how that works. Oh, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, So we have Keyforge pre-launch parties going on in all three Battleground locations where you'll get a chance to play Keyforge, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. At the same time... (laughs) And this is particular to our Norton location of Battleground Games and Hobbies. We have another fun drive. Uh, and this is a, a slightly different sort of fundraiser. There's a Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game holiday charity event, which is a can drive. So let's start with this. This is in the Norton location. Uh, and it's going on on Sunday? I, no, Saturday. Saturday. Saturday at 7.30 p.m. 
so that's Saturday the 10th at 7.30 p.m. Your entrance fee is a pile of cans. At least five cans. 15-ounce minimum. Yep, 15-ounce minimum. With a best used by date no later than February 2019. We want people to be able no, to actually... No, use earlier cans. than 2019. Sorry. So, yeah, these are cans that are not going to expire this year. They're gonna, these are not yeah. tiny cans. So, you bring cans of food. That's what you use as your entrance fee. It's also your points in the games. So, it's going to be a uh, bunch of... It's a Swiss tournament. And in every round, the cans you brought are your stake. And if somebody wins a round, they take a can from their opponent and add it to their collection. At the end of the event, you turn your cans in and get a pack per can. That's awesome. If you have no cans left at the end of the event, you still get a pack. So all you need to do to join this tournament is bring some cans in and you're going to play some Yu-Gi-Oh! I love the the idea of this. It's an advanced format tournament, so have your advanced Yu-Gi-Oh! deck ready to go. It's not like a sealed event or anything like that where you're building your deck on the fly. You have to bring your deck with you. Bring your deck, bring your cans of food, play some Yu-Gi-Oh! and donate your cans to a great cause and get some free packs. And we're moving into the colder months. Um, we live in New England, obviously, and it gets cold here, and it gets difficult for people on a limited income. And donating food to food pantries is a great way to help. And I love this idea that you come in, you get to play a game, and help people at the same time. That's just super cool. Yeah, I'm not a Yu-Gi-Oh player, but this is the sort of thing that would get me into Yu-Gi-Oh. I'd build a crappy deck and lose all my cans of food, but I'd still be doing a good thing. So that's Saturday at 7.30 p.m. in the Norton location. I love that. Uh, And then I wanted to talk a little bit about Keyforge. I've taken some time to read through the rules. I've played a couple of quick test games. And my perspective on Keyforge is coming at it from the background of being a magic player who, right. who's been playing magic for a long time, there's a lot of magic habits you're going to have to unlearn have to break if you're going to be playing Keyforge. It's a fascinating game, and it's a game... So the goal of the game is not based on hit points. It's not based on attacking your opponent. It's based on gathering ether which you use to unlock keys. You've got three keys that are inactive at the start of the game. At the beginning of each round, if you have enough ether gathered, you can activate one key. And the first person to activate the third key wins. Hooray! The way you get ether is by reaping it with your creatures, or by stealing it from your opponent, or by playing cards that get you ether. So, during the game, you can attack your opponent's creatures, but there's not really a big advantage to that other than eliminating their board state and getting rid of creatures they could use to reap later. So, attacking is less of what you're trying to do. It's still a valid strategy, but it's not so much um, the main aspect of the game. You can never attack your opponent. There's no life score. You can steal ether from your opponent. Yeah. 
but you can't do it by attacking. You do it by using cards and by using special abilities of creatures. You're basically trying to move faster than them, and if you want to help that out by slowing them down, that's good. But that, instead of attacking them, you're slowing them, basically. Exactly. So, it's a fascinating mechanic, it's a fascinating game, and if you want to learn to play... That's what our pre-launch parties are all about. We've got test decks at all three locations. And if you come in during our Keyforge launch parties, you'll get a chance to try it out and uh, see if you enjoy the game. Uh, there's a launch party going on in our Norton location at noon on Sunday. There's a launch party going on uh, in our Saugus location at 2 p.m. on Saturday, and the launch party in the Abington location, again, is noon on Saturday. So anytime after that, come in, play some free games, learn how to play the game. We're happy to show you the rules, and you'll get a sense for how it works. You can pre-order your decks at that time. So, And, of course, you don't know what you're going to get in your decks because it's a unique game. So you don't know you know, what houses are going to be represented by your decks or what mechanics until you actually open it up and get a chance to play with it. So some fascinating stuff going on there. Then we've got Ravnica Weekend, which is, as I mentioned, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. So the D&D and um, magic sort of crossover. For magic players, there are four-pack drafts going on at all three locations. Uh, in Norton, it's Sunday at 2.30 p.m. In Abington, it's Saturday at 7.30 p.m., our normal Saturday draft. And in uh, Saugus, it's Saturday at noon. So this is your chance to play in a four-pack draft. You know how, if you're a Magic player, you're quite familiar with the fact that drafting is normally three packs. You pass one to the left, one to the right, one to the left... Then you build your deck. Four-pack draft. You get four packs. So it's left, right, left, right. You're going to end up with a lot more cards at the end of your draft. So a lot more options to build your deck. Or harder choices to make. Yeah. So that should be a lot of fun. That's the sort of Ravnica weekend aspect for Magic players. For folks who want to try out D&D, we have a module called Krenko's Way looks so good. Which is a very short level 1 D&D adventure. You may get to level 2, but I don't think we're going to take a break during the adventure to level folks up. Um, So you're not going to be getting any level 2 abilities. But it's a great introduction to magic, and it's a great introduction to Ravnica for people who are familiar with D&D. It's a great crossover. And I'm going to hand things over to Amanda for a little bit so that she can talk about one of the aspects of this this module, this adventure, is that it has pre-generated characters. Yes. You're not going to waste a whole bunch of time building your character. Uh, if you get the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, it has a lot of options for new races. It's got a lot of options for you know the various guilds. And you get a taste of that with the pre-gen characters. Yeah. Of which there are ten. Why, Amanda, are there ten characters? Why, Andy, there are ten characters because there are ten guilds. So 
if you're more of a D&D player and you're not as familiar with magic and you're not as familiar with the world of Ravnica, Ravnica is one of the most popular planes that the game of magic has visited story-wise and lore-wise. Um, it's just very, very, I don't know, there's just something about it that speaks to people. And one of the things about, one of the things about magic is that it relies on mana. You might have seen that if you're not a magic player. There are five types of mana, five colors that roughly correspond to five different types of land and five different like types of uh, player and character. And those, um, the guilds in Ravnica are each two color combinations of those five types of mana. So you have like red white, you have blue white, you have blue black, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And each of those have a, a feel to them and a tone to them. So each of those guilds have a, a story and a role that they play in Ravnica. And to give you an idea of how popular Ravnica is, when Andy and I got back into magic for the first time, way back, um, pre, pre our time at Paddleground, we went to the panel where they announced Return to Ravnica, and it was the first time that they were returning to a plane, and it was Ravnica, which was massively popular. The room erupted. I have never seen a response like that to anything, and I've, I've been to a lot of conventions, and I've seen a lot of really, really, like, excited crowds this room just it went from zero to 60 in a matter of a split second as soon as they announced it everyone was on their feet cheering um so that's that gives you an idea of how well received ravnica is so the guilds in ravnica are um the azorius which are blue white they're the law keepers in Ravnica. There's the Boros, which is red-white. The Boros are the army. So the Boros and Azorius do work together. You've got the law-keeping, and then you've got the, like, you've got the the lawyers and the police, basically, or, like, the army and the government. Um, you've got the Demir. Demir are spies and secret keepers and librarians, and they, they're, they're not nice, um, they're black blue, but they are very smart and they're also very sneaky. Um, you've got the Golgari. The Golgari are black green. They like nature and death. They, they're sort of, they take care of the, the undercity, the, um, the rot, the sewers. But that also means that they, they keep the city functioning because goodness knows if it, if your sewers aren't like, flowing freely you've got problems um you've got the gruel who are the anarchists they are red green and they they like smashing things they like breaking things they also like uh uninhibited growth they they want to just like have a good time and be in as much nature as they possibly can in a plane that's entirely city so that's the other thing to understand is that ravnica isn't just a city it's all city. The entire world of Ravnica is one giant city. So, uh, there's the Izzet. The Izzet are, uh, red blue. Things explode with the Izzet. They're, um, inventors and engineers. They're academics, but they're active academics. Um, they like to invent things. And if those inventions sometimes go awry, so be it. Uh, there's the Orzov. The Orzov are black-white, and the Orzov are the sort of religious uh, 
guild on Ravnica. They're all the churches. Um, that black part of them that it's, you know, yeah, sometimes there's a seamy underbelly to the church. Um, but also they, they do believe that they're doing things correctly. Um, there's the Rakdos, which is more cult and performance based. They're black red. Uh, they're very chaotic. Um, if, if, if you're going to talk in terms of, um, alignment that <laughs> you tend towards with a guild, Rakdos is definitely chaotic, uh, probably chaotic evil, but you're not locked into that. There's the Celestia, which are green white. Celestia is very much, um, in touch with the natural world sort of that surrounds, um, everything in the city. Yes, it's a city, but there's still nature in it. And finally, there's the Simic, which are blue-green. And blue is sort of the academic color in uh, magic. Green is the nature color. Blue-green together means they like making mutants. They like making, like, frog crabs and things like that, which is why we're going to talk for a moment about some of the new skill types and skills that are involved. And I'm, I'm not going to go through absolutely everything. I'm just going to go through some of the highlights of the characters that are pre-generated. So the Simic pre-gen character is a monk, and its race is Simic hybrid. And the reason Simic hybrid is its own race is because you get to choose animal enhancements that your guild has granted you by basically grafting things onto you or changing out limbs for other things. So your animal enhancement in this pre-generated monk is nimble climber, which means your climbing speed is 30 feet. Um, you also have researcher, which I believe is, it must be a Simic thing. When you attempt to recall a magical or scientific fact, if you don't know the information yourself, you know where to find it which I think is really cool. Um, there's a Celestian Paladin that is a Loxodon. So a Loxodon is a magic race. It's a race based in the game of Magic the Gathering. And they're basically elephant people. They're big sort of humanoid elephant types. I love Loxodons. They're super neat. And um, they have, uh, this one's a Paladin. So, you know, pretty law-abiding. Um, they have like powerful builds, so they're considered very um, large in terms of carrying capacity. They also have Loxodon Serenity. You have advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened, which I really like. And they have a, uh, a trunk skill, which means you can use your trunk to do stuff like you would use like a hand or something. Um, the Rakdos Cultist is a goblin bard, which I'm super super thrilled with i think it's super cool um so yeah you you're you're chaotic and you sing a lot um you you have like a whole bunch of instruments with you um you have fury of the small because you're a goblin so yeah that one looks fun i don't see a whole lot of stuff that's specifically rakdos there but i know there must be rakdosy stuff in in the guide um there's the orzov uh cleric as a human, this one has a really neat mechanic, a really neat skill that I like called Voice of Authority, where when you cast a first level or higher spell that targets an ally, that ally can use their reaction to make one weapon attack, which I think is really neat that you can, yeah, that's a, an order domain cleric 
spell. So the order domain is a relatively, I believe that's a relatively new domain for the clerics. It's not specific to the magic, to the, the Ravnica thing, but that order domain definitely fits very well with the Orzov. Um, there's the Is It Engineer, which is a sorcerer. It's a goblin sorcerer. You're going to make things go boom. Um, and that one has a really neat spell that was included in what book, Andy? Um, Xanathar's Guide. Xanathar's Guide has Chaos Bolt. Which, um, it's a level two spell, but there's a level one character with it. it, it they, you get it in this. Um, and basically, you roll a d8 to figure out what damage type it does, which I think is really cool. You've got a Gruel Barbarian, uh, a Gruel Anarch Barbarian. It's a human. Um, you, you're basically just a barbarian. You're going to smash things, but you also can find. Um, you can find stuff in the ruins. So if you're in a ruined part of the city during your adventure, you're going to be able to find stuff that otherwise y- you wouldn't have access to. The Golgari, <clears throat> Golgari Druid, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I think a lot of people might, who know the guilds might have expected the Druid to be a Celestia character, mm-hmm. but from, it does make a lot of sense with the Golgari as well. Um, and the Golgari is a dark elf of the magic persuasion. Um, so it's a specific type of dark elf who can find their way through the underground pathways of the city, which I think is really awesome. Um, there's the Boros Legionnaire. You're talking a fighter, but a minotaur. Mm-hmm. which has a horn attack, which I think is awesome, a goring rush, hammering horns. So you not only have your regular weapon attacks, but you have attacks with, with your head. There's the Azorius wizard. So you're one of the sort of law keepers in, um, in Ravnica, but you're not on the front lines. You're, you're making sure that law is served. Um, you are a Vidalcan. The Vidalcan are a magic, another magic race. Um, they're really interesting. There's not really a, an, um, an analog, um, in the rest of the, they're sort of blue skinned. They're, they're very, um, I don't know, kind of Vulcan like yeah. in, in how they, yeah, they're, they're very fussy a lot of the time. So you have Vidalcan Dispassion, which is advantage on all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. And you're partially amphibious. You can breathe underwater for up to an hour, which uh, refreshes with a long rest, which I think is pretty cool. You also have Legal Authority, which is specifically to Azorius, which means that showing your Azorius insignia gets you audiences with people um, because you're uh, you're part of the law. And I saved my favorite for last. And this is my favorite. Um, one, because I love Demir. Uh, I, I just enjoy Demir as a guild. Yeah, this one's going to be great for role playing. Uh, the, you're going to get super into this. So if I was going to run this. Yes. If I were running this. If someone were to pick the Demir and no one had already picked the Orzhov character. I would not allow anyone to pick the Orzhov character because the Demir, as I mentioned, are sneaky spies and assassins. And this Demir operative is you have the ability false identity, which means you're disguised to appear as a member of the Orzhov syndicate. So I personally, if I was running this, would advise that 
if someone got the Demir, I wouldn't let anyone pick Orzov, and I would let the players try to figure out whether their Orzov representative is actually an Orzov representative. Um, so I think that would be fun. Um, you're actually a rogue. That's your actual class. Um, and it, you have all the things typical of a rogue class, but because you're Demir, you get to pretend to be someone else. So yeah, there's a lot of really cool role-playing opportunities with that. So yeah, this is going to be a fun little adventure to run. It's a great introduction both to magic and to Dungeons and Dragons. And if you want to participate, we're going to have DMs on hand in all three locations at various times over the weekend running this adventure. In the Saugus or in the Norton store, uh, that's going to be Sunday starting at 11.30 a.m. They're going to be running Krenko's Way. If you come into the Abington store, I will be here anytime after noon on Saturday running this adventure. Uh, I believe Serena is also going to be here, so we'll have a couple of DMs running it. And in the Saugus location, it's also starting at noon on Saturday. So, yeah, that is Ravnica weekend in a nutshell. There is so much fun stuff going on and i i know it's it's wonderful it's it feels uh, in norton it's sunday in abington it's saturday so yeah check your local battleground games and hobbies to find out when they're running it and to coordinate with the dms so that you can participate in that so that that's what's going on this weekend. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. It's so much. And next weekend, it continues. Okay. Uh, so just as yeah, a heads up for next weekend, there's a big PPTQ going on in Norton on uh, November the 18th. So just so that you're prepared for next Sunday, that's a PPTQ preliminary Pro Tour qualifier. I know that these are a form of magic tournament that's currently being phased out. So this may may be your last chance to actually participate in a PPTQ. But yeah, come on in. That's a standard event on November the 18th. And I think with that, we're going to call this episode of Behind the Shield to a close. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Amanda, for joining me as always. Oh, thanks for having me as always. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.